0: The Macro View Episode 46. Warning. If you're triggered by the truth or get lost in a sea of logic, we just don't give a damn. This is the Macro View. You are now listening to the number one daily podcast focused on spreading the logic of liberty. Advocates for government interventions into the labor market, either through wage controls such as the minimum wage and overtime pay laws, or through forced unionization often claim that workers do not have quote-unquote bargaining power. In the labor market, bargaining power does not come from being wealthy, nor does its lack of existence come from being poor. Bargaining power for wages, workplace conditions, and schedule regularity, as well as a number of other things that employees may desire, comes from supply and demand. Contrary to emotional desires of, of the left, humans are not exempt from supply and demand. The price of labor, wages as we call them, are driven by supply and demand like all other economic goods. People in and of themselves remember, remember this, people in and of themselves are not labor. The productivity that people offer through a combination of their skills and efforts, that is what is desired. That is the supply that's desired and subsequently demanded by employers. If you're in a field in which there are many millions of people that can provide the productivity that an employer seeks, while there's only a couple of million jobs available, naturally you'll have less bargaining power. Now, if you're in a field in which there are very few people, say maybe 10,000 people that have the skills necessary to the production of a specific good or service, and there are 100,000 jobs available for people with your skill set, you'll have much more bargaining power. It's really pretty simple. It works the same way as any other good in competitive supply and low demand or in low supply and high demand, respectively. A grocery store in the heart of the suburbs does not have great bargaining power on the price of a head of lettuce. Why? Because if they charge too high of a price, the consumers will simply go down the street to their competitor and purchase the head of lettuce there. On the other end of the spectrum, the Cleveland Cavaliers have tremendous bargaining power regarding the price they charge people that want to come and see the reigning champions play a basketball game. There's only one professional basketball team in the city of Cleveland, and there's way more people that want to watch LeBron James and the reigning champs play than there are seats. In regards to labor, it all boils down to the all-important human capital required by potential positions of employment and offered by potential employees. Now, we're going to dive deeper into this discussion and debunking the myth of bargaining power right after this quick break. Something tells me that a lot of my listeners like to read those thick economic treatises like Basic Economics by Thomas Sowell, Man Economy and State by Murray Rothbard, and Human Action by Ludwig von Mises. In total, these three books alone are well over 2,500 pages. Now, you don't want to be lugging around one of these behemoths. It's far too inconvenient. This is exactly why I love my Kindle Paperwhite. Not only is it light, convenient, and easy to use, but especially for those of us that like to go back and reread certain parts that made an impact on us or are worth the second take, it's so easy to highlight and to take notes and to keep track of where you're at. Now, if you are like me and you like to have a hard copy of your favorite volumes, there really is nothing better than the Kindle Paperwhite. You could do all of your highlighting and note taking digitally and you can keep your hard copies in pristine condition to one day hand down as a legacy. Best of all, it's extremely easy on the eyes. If you spend all your day in front of a computer and you're sick of the headache that you get from reading PDFs on your monitor, there really is nothing better than the Kindle Paperwhite. Now, if you're an avid reader, Go to T as in the, M as in macro, V as in view, podcast.com. That's T-M-V podcast.com. And on the homepage right next to tonight's show page, you'll find a direct link to purchase your very own Kindle Paperwhite. You won't regret it. I use mine every single day, and you're sure to love it as well. Also, it's guaranteed to make you a better student of liberty. So head over to T-M-V Click on the link there on the right-hand side and get yourself a Kindle Paperwhite. All right, everybody, we're back. So sticking with the same example, a grocery store cashier has tons of potential competition. There are literally more than 100 million people that could do the job. Now, many of these hundreds of millions of people withdraw themselves from the running and opt for more lucrative employment that better utilizes a more robust skill set. While that dwindles the pool of people, there's still tens of millions of people that could do the job and will seek such employment if they find themselves unemployed. The reason there are so many millions of people that can fill this job slot is simple. All you really need to know how to do is run barcodes over a scanner, read a screen, occasionally punch some numbers into a computer, and accurately count out change, the amount of which is given to you on the computer screen, and be generally friendly and, and show up on time. That's basically it. Now, other than the severely mentally handicapped or the severely and provably untrustworthy, every other working age person can fill these requirements. On the other hand, there are very few LeBron Jameses. In fact, there's only one. LeBron James received a fairly decent hand of cards at birth. He was to be six foot nine and 245 pounds and extremely swift for his size. Beyond being dealt this lucky hand, he also is extremely dedicated to honing his athletic abilities, particularly on the basketball court. He's stuck to it. And it's earned him three world championships and trips to seven in total, including the last six in a row with two different teams. He also plays a sport that commands a boatload of money through advertising. Advertising of which the revenue that they share with major television and radio networks, and is one of the most he's one of the most demanded figures for product, service, and charitable endorsements due to his notoriety globally. Now, as a result, LeBron James has tremendous bargaining power, so much so that he can single-handedly get his coach fired, which he did in the middle of last season, and was instrumental in hiring the new coach. Now, some left-wing economists may, and I've heard them try before, claim that LeBron James benefits from the NBA's players' union. Now, to the contrary, LeBron James would actually make a lot more, if not for the players' unions, because the players' unions demand that lower-skilled labor in the NBA, the lower-skilled participants and players in the NBA, receive certain minimums that would otherwise be contributed to much higher salaries for people like LeBron James and other superstars. The quote-unquote proof that these left-wing economists use that these superstars benefit from the players' union are the typically the historical salaries of superstars in major professional sports and how they're very low in the past. Now, the reason why superstar salaries were low in the, in the past, you know, back in the day, is really pretty simple. There's nowhere near as much labor productivity in general, and as a result, there's nowhere near as much leisure time and therefore nowhere near as much money in ticket sales or advertising. Now, if you go back far enough, there's no television. There's only radio. And even then, many professional sports teams existed pre-radio. Now, remember, ESPN is is just barely over 37 years old. And it was the first of its kind offering 24-hour sports television programming. People did not have nearly the infatuation with sports that we have today because people did not have nearly the amount of leisure time that we have today. Now, as labor productivity and consequently the amount of leisure time that people enjoyed grew, consuming sporting events as a spectator, both in person and on television and radio, grew tremendously as well. The demand for such gave the leagues and teams greater bargaining power with the television and radio stations, eventually leading to bigger and bigger cuts of advertising revenue, which, in turn, gave teams more capital to spend on player salaries. Now, it also uh, it also goes towards trying to command butts and eyes. You know, teams that are willing to spend a lot of money on superstars often end up winning more, and nobody likes to waste their time watching their team lose over and over again. So these teams spend a lot of money on, Uh, Getting these superstars to come and play for them so that they can then get butts in their seats and they can get eyes on the television when they play. Now, like everything, wages are a result of supply and demand for certain skill sets. The greater the supply and the lower the demand, the lower the wage. And given the competition, the less bargaining power any one provider of labor or low skilled labor that's in high supply and low demand, any one provider of such labor has. No matter how much left-wing economists and politicians wish it to be true, the skills of humans, the human capital, is an economic good. And consequently, the subject is subjected to economic law. People are not exempt from the laws of supply and demand. Now, we've got one more myth regarding labor prices and, and wages and kind of goes hand in hand with the bargaining power myth when we get back And we're going to dive right into that right after this quick commercial break. So I do realize that not everyone has the time to read every book that they want to, and that's fine. But I bet those same people that don't have a lot of time to read spend a lot of time in their car commuting back and forth from work or from school. There's another phenomenal Amazon product for those of you that are thinking, yep, that's me right about now. It's Audible. Now, I'm sure some of you already know about Audible. It's the audiobook app that turns reading into listening. It's great. And while I'm an avid reader, there are far too many days on my drive from downtown Los Angeles to Santa Monica and back where I'm all caught up in my favorite podcasts. And AM radio is just far too frustrating when you can't call in and read the host the riot act for being a horrible neocon or regressive leftist. That's what audible is for. For a limited time, if you download the app on your desktop or mobile phone from our website, tmvpodcast.com, Amazon is offering new Audible users two free audiobooks. Now, personally, I suggest you make good use of those two free books. Get yourself one of those backbreakers that you've been meaning to read but just haven't had the time or the will to open it up. Go to tmvpodcast.com, and right there on the right-hand side, you'll find a link to this exclusive offer. Don't miss out, folks. Head over to tmvpodcast.com, click on the Audible banner, and get your two free audiobooks today. So there is one more, uh, one more myth that often gets asserted by people that, uh, that preach uh, that are pro-government intervention in regards to the labor market. And that is the myth of a buyer's monopoly or what would be known as a monopsony. So a monopsony is when there's a single buyer for a good or service. And oftentimes left-wing economists and politicians, their basis for the bargaining power myth is the monopsony myth. And the monopsony monopsony myth is – I I don't even know where it comes from because it's so contrary to reality – but essentially what, what it the, the claim is, is that there's nowhere else that minimum wage workers can work other than, I guess, a single establishment. And I mean, that's just obviously false. I mean, if you've ever been, you know, if you've ever been a minimum wage worker, if you've ever worked for um, a McDonald's or if you've ever worked at a grocery store, I mean, you know that there's plenty of other jobs available at that minimum wage and Um, you you, let's, let's just take an extreme example. Let's say that somebody has been working as a, as a burger flipper at a McDonald's and you know, this is the job that they've been doing. They've been working as a burger flipper. And, uh, as soon as they, you know, now they're looking for a, um, a new job and is the only job that they can perform flipping burgers. Um, no, obviously not. I mean, there's plenty of other low skilled jobs that will pay something similar to what they've earned at you know, whether it's a minimum wage or maybe saying slightly higher that they've that they've er- been earning working as a burger flipper at McDonald's. They could be a grocery store cashier. As we've mentioned earlier, that's that's one of those jobs that generally requires pretty low skills because the skills that you need as a burger flipper, Uh, translate. You need a decent attitude and be able to work with other people. You need to be able to show up on time and both your arms got to work. I mean, that's basically it. You know, it doesn't take a ton of skills and there's plenty of other jobs. You could go be a bus boy. You could be a cashier at a grocery store. You could be a stock stock boy or or stock girl at a grocery store. Um, You could probably be a secretary or personal assistant. You just, you, the skills that you have are highly translatable to other low skilled jobs. Now are you going to go be able to go and get a job as a uh you know as a software architect? No. You know if you don't have the skills needed to be a software architect and you've been flipping burgers at McDonald's, that doesn't give you the experience or the skills necessary to become a software architect. Are you going to be able to go and become you know a teacher? Probably not. You know you probably need most places you need at least a bachelor's degree to become a teacher and I guess there's maybe some spot some places in the country where you could probably be a teacher with a with an associate's degree but you need some sort of of proof of knowledge and of of having learned before and knowing what it takes to get through skill and through school and and the skill of, of being able to work well with children in order to become a teacher uh, but there are plenty of other jobs that you can do. Just being a burger flipper is not the only job you can do. Now, let's just go to the ex- the extreme extreme. Let's assume that the only thing you can do is be a burger flipper. Well, then if there's a, the only way that there would be a monopsony is if McDonald's or where you've been working before is the only place that has a job that requires you to flip burgers. So they're the only burger joint in the entire town or in the region that you're in. Or within driving distance. Now, maybe there are a few spots in West Texas where this is the case, or in maybe like you know New Mexico, rural New Mexico, or rural North Dakota or South Dakota. uh, But that it's somewhat unrealistic. It's somewhat of a straw man to to try to suggest that there's only one place where somebody can flip burgers. And on top of that, I mean, if you could flip burgers, you could probably flip a steak. You might need a little bit of direction as to how to you know, how to properly cook the steak, how long to leave it on for, but you can learn that and you can flip a steak. You could flip, you know, you could dip, uh, dip chicken sandwiches. So you could work at at a Chick-fil-A or you could work at a, uh, you know, any other fried chicken joint. There's plenty of other places that you can work. So it's not as if being a burger flipper, you know, you, you're limited to this single position at McDonald's. There are tons of other opportunities for people with low skills. So this idea that it's a buyer's monopoly or a monopsony, it's just farce. It's pure farce. That is largely the basis for the bargaining power myth, though. And that's what a lot of left-wing economists and politicians base their argument as to uh, you know, people that have low skills not having the bargaining power to be able to achieve a quote-unquote living wage or, or a higher wage. Now, with that said, there are government involvements that do reduce the bargaining power of low-skilled workers, and I want to touch on that before I let everybody go. One of them I mentioned in the very opening statement in, in tonight's episode is overtime pay laws. So overtime pay laws severely hamper the bargaining power of a low skilled worker because a low skilled worker may be willing to work say 60 hours a day or, or or not a day excuse me 60 hours a week or you know maybe willing to work even 70 hours a week um so you know maybe they're willing to work 12 hours a day 6 days a week that's 72 hours a week and most employers would prefer to only have to rely on, or would prefer not only have to rely on one person, but would would prefer to rely on fewer people to not have to hire somebody else to fill those extra hours. So if they had if they had the choice choice of four workers that would work, you know, thirty five hours a week, or two workers that were willing to work seventy hours a week, they would probably prefer the two workers working seventy hours a week. But because of overtime pay laws. If, the, if those two workers worked above 40 hours a week, they would have to get paid time and a half. Now, do most people want to get paid time and a half for overtime? Sure, yeah, absolutely. I mean, who doesn't want to get paid more? But are they entitled to time and a half? Not necessarily. And maybe they do need the income. Maybe they do need the income and will be willing voluntarily to work 70 hours a week at whatever the original agreed upon wage was. There's but when government steps in and says you have to pay these people time and a half if they work more than 40 hours, that restricts their that restricts their negotiating powers tremendously. That really hurts the individual low skilled laborers uh, bargaining power. If they were if they were somebody that was really looking to get a good job, they could go to their employer and say, look, you know, I need I need more than 40 hours a week. I'm willing to work seven up to 70 hours a week. At the, min- at the minimum wage or at whatever wage we agreed upon, assuming there's no minimum wage, at whatever wage we agreed upon, you don't need to pay me more. I need the hours. I need the income. I'm willing to work a lot more. And if you put me on the schedule for 70 hours a week, that will reduce the liability of having to rely on additional people to come in, to show up on time, to have a good attitude. You know I'm a good worker, You know, and, and I'm showing you that I'm dedicated and I'm worth the effort. Now maybe the employer says, you know, I I really can't book you for seventy hours. I've got these other employees already, and I have to let somebody go or take them off the schedule. But hey, you know, I've got an extra ten hours a week, so you can work fifty hours. Or maybe that that employer would say, listen, you know, you're really dedicated to this job. You're you're a productive member of our team. You're working really hard. I'm willing, you know, I can't put you on for seventy hours, but I'm I'm willing to allow you to work, you know, to put you on the schedule for an additional ten hours and to give you a raise because you've shown how dedicated you are and how hard of a worker you are. There's all sorts of good scenarios that could come out of allowing individuals to use their own subjective value uh, for their labor and determine what they believe it's worth and how many hours they're willing to work. And above and, beyond that, above and beyond that, if you are willing to work 70 hours a week and you weren't required to be paid time and a half, At the minimum wage, you know, if you're working 70 hours a week, 52 weeks a year, now you're making $26,390 a year before taxes. So you just went from being a very low income person to very close to the median income. if you, if you live with another person that's working similar hours at a similar wage or bringing in a similar annual income somewhere around twenty six, twenty seven thousand dollars $27,000, you're in the middle class in most parts of the country. Now, not living in San Francisco or New York or Los Angeles, you're not, uh, but you're right below the median in Los Angeles, and you'd be significantly above the median in many places throughout the country. And there there are many, many places throughout the country where the median income is $45,000 or median household income is $45,000 a year. So two people working 70 hours a week at minimum wage would be above the median in any of those areas where you're below the national media because you're right around $52,000 a year in household income. So the overtime laws that are imposed by by politicians and are advocated by left wing economists because workers, quote unquote, don't have bargaining power actually take away one of the bargaining chips that low-skilled laborers may have with their employer. It hurts their ability to step up out of poverty or out of a low-income status and into the middle class, and it hurts their ability to prove their dedication, to prove their work ethic, and to prove that they're worth a lot more. It also gives, it hurts their opportunity from putting that onto their resume when they go to their next job or when they're looking for their next job. Well, everybody, that's all for tonight. I hope you enjoyed the show. Do not forget, if you're not listening to it already, do not forget to check out tonight's show page if you're not listening to tonight's episode from the show page already. You can find it at macroviewnews.com or you can go to TMV, as in The macroview, TMVpodcast.com. Both of those are uh, go to the same location and you'll be able to find tonight's show page. We'll have resources on there, um, you know, links to places where you can hear some of these left-wing economists claiming that it's, you know, claiming the bargaining power myth as a reason for government intervention into the labor markets. And on top of that, you'll be able to uh, find links to both of tonight's advertisers. You'll be able to find um, other episodes of the macro view. And while you're there, check out our blog because our blog's got some great Uh, great articles on there and starting to do a lot more more blogging. So we'll be having at least an article or two coming out every day and you should really check that out. Now, while you're on the website, don't forget to subscribe to our email list. There's gonna be some great things coming at the Macro View and you're gonna wanna be a part of that email list. So if you're a part of that email list, you'll be the first to be notified when new things come to the Macro View, including new episodes being released. While you're on the website... Also, don't forget to follow us on social media. Right at the top of the website, in the header, you can find links to our YouTube channel, which you should definitely go and subscribe to. All of our podcasts are available there. Um, Where We've got a sister podcast now that we just started. Episode two is gonna be released tonight, and they will be hosted on the Macro Views YouTube channel as well. You can find a link to our Facebook page, which you should like on there. That way, you know, just in case you're, you're not subscribed to the email list, You'll be notified when new episodes are being released. And you can find a link to our Twitter uh, Twitter account, which you can follow us on Twitter. Again, you'll be notified when new episodes are released. And I, I do a little bit of musing on Twitter and sometimes once in a while I'll get into a debate or, or here or there uh, with other people on Twitter. So you definitely want to follow our Twitter, uh, our Twitter feed. Most importantly, most importantly, while you're on the MacroView website, Do not forget to share us with your friends, with your family, with your social media networks, wherever you feel as though you can help me to spread the logic of liberty. That's all for tonight, folks. Tune back in tomorrow for another episode of The Macro View, and take care until then.